Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We have covered in our series to date some things like communication and dating and parenting and marriage and all those wonderful things. And I did say from the start that we would conclude our series on the subject of SEX. Which spells sex. So you might want to hashtag, no, I don't, I don't know where that will take you. I, I actually don't know. I don't know where that's going to, I don't know where that will take you, but probably not a good place to hashtag. But, but because I've mentioned, I feel like I've set myself up for a loss because I can't compete with your imaginations. I don't know what you think I'm going to cover. Some of you are going to be bitterly disappointed, I am sure. And others of you may absolutely be shocked. I'm not sure. Um, But as I said this morning, there will be no demonstrations. I can promise you that. That's great. All right. Hashtag thank you, Jesus. Um, But but I, I do count it a privilege to be able to speak on the subject. In actual fact, the timing's perfect. Because just this afternoon... As I was having dinner, um, lunch, <laughs> you guys, I'm going to get you back. <laughs> oh my God, what God. Anyway, this afternoon I was watching television and uh, I, I noticed uh, advertising on the project this week, they are going to be talking about sex and young people and what parents need to do. And it says they're going to get some experts in. And I thought, what better time for us to talk about this subject in light of what is going to be taking place on television just this week. Now, if you're a parent here and you have children that are of a certain age, you're going to have to use your discretion as to whether it is best that they sit in this meeting or not. One thing I do know is that questions will be asked, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not going to be crass. I don't want to be rude. I just want to be honest, and I want to pitch it so that uh, every one of us in this room can get something out of it tonight. How does that sound? All right. And so my desire simply through sharing tonight, and this is how it's going to work, is that I'm going to share a little bit and then I'm going to get my wife up here and I'm going to throw a few questions her way and we're just going to have a look at some of those things and that'll be a whole heap of fun and hopefully we'll all be a little bit better uh, in and around this particular subject because there's lots of opinions about this subject. There's lots of opinions about sex. In actual fact, they say that the average man thinks about sex every 20 seconds. And I pride myself on thinking that our church is above average. So I think, (laughs) for us at Big Free, we probably think about it every 10 seconds because we're an above average church. Amen? (laughs) My point, my point is this. The problem is that we don't, it's not that we don't think about sex. It's that we don't think about it deeply enough and sensibly enough. And so it's my desire to connect God to sex and sex to God in our time together tonight. And to do that, we've got to go back to the beginning. If if your life is getting messed up in any way, shape or form, the best place to go to is the beginning. 
If you're having car trouble, the best place to go back to is the place where you got the car. The best place to go when you're having problems is back to the beginning. And with all the opinion that is out there and all the opinions that are going to come our way over and over again with the project this week and many other opportunities are going to come our way, the best place for us to go is back to the beginning because the last thing you want is my opinion. The last thing you need tonight is another opinion from me. And so I want to take you back to the very beginning. And I want to do that by turning to the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, reading from the message translation, it says, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper, a companion. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Giraffe, hippopotamus, bird, etc. Got it. The man named the cattle, he named the birds of the air, he named the wild animals, but he didn't find a suitable companion. God put the man into a deep sleep. Here's a little aside for you God does some of his best work when we're asleep. While we are sleeping, God does some of his best work. He put the man into a deep sleep. As he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with flesh. God then used that rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented her to the man. The man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He named her woman for she was made for man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, and they felt no shame. I've got four things very quickly, then I'm going to get my wife up here on stage with me. The first thing I want to look at tonight is simply this, that sex was God's idea in the beginning. Sex was God's idea in the beginning. When it talks about being one flesh, it's speaking of sexual intercourse, and that's found in verse 24. In other words, it wasn't like God created man and woman, turned his back for half a second, turned around and said, what are you two doing? I mean, I say that because we have this notion that God is this old man in the clouds and he's, he's uh, just outdated and antiquated with all of his thoughts and he couldn't possibly have come up with this notion of, of sexual intimacy and yet we see from the very beginning it was God's idea. And so if anyone should know about sex, it should be the Christians and it should be the church. The church should have the answer when it comes to this subject. Unfortunately, we've been too afraid or too embarrassed or whatever to talk about it. The way God has made a man and a woman is perfect for this particular subject. God is a very clever, very gracious God. And He loves us and He wants the very best for us. Unfortunately, there are people who have notions that sex is of the devil and it should be abstained from at all times. In actual fact, Augustine said this, that sex between a husband and wife is okay as long as they don't enjoy it. (laughs) 
Some of the notions that come when we deviate from the Word of God are unbelievable. And yet when you read the Song of Solomon's, which is a book in the Bible, it's full of a man and a woman enjoying one another at an intimate level. Firstly, sex is God's idea. Secondly, sex needs to be talked about. It says they were in the garden, they were naked, and they felt no shame. In other words, sex isn't dirty. It should be something that we are able to talk about, particularly as parents with our children, because if we don't talk about it, someone else will. And dare I say, someone else is and has been, and that's why we need to speak into the subject. We can't think that they are going to get the education that they need in this area if we leave it to the schools or if we leave it to their mates. I know that this can be very difficult for some of you as parents, but we've got to get comfortable talking about this subject. Otherwise, they're just going to embrace what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is doing is ultimately not helpful. I would encourage every parent here, to be able to have age-appropriate conversations with their kids. Because if you don't, somebody else will. And can I say, if your child comes up to you and says, Hey, Mum, hey, Dad, what's sex? And you freak out, you're going to give off a vibe that sex is something that is not healthy and something to be feared and so right now is a good time to listen up, not just for yourselves, but also in, a, in able to empower you to help your children. Age-appropriate conversations. I mean, kids are great, you know. They just pick up words, and sometimes they don't even know what it means, and they don't even know what they're asking. So if a six-year-old comes up to you and, and says, Hey, Dad, what's sex? Because he just, you know, was trying to say Bex. But it came out, set. you don't want to get into a deeper meaningful with your six-year-old and with all the graphics and all the pictures. And when it just grossed them out. And so we've got to have age-appropriate conversations. I remember one of our kids, are oh, you going to work out who it is? It's Jordan. And she said her boy, a boy likes her. This was many years ago. And a boy's asked me to be his girlfriend. And instead of freaking out, I love the way Kath answered. She just simply said, what does that mean? And so instead of getting into a conversation with Jordan as a very young girl, you're not allowed to go out with someone. I, don't, I forbid this young man to take your hand in marriage. I mean, it's just an overstatement. She just asked the question, what does having a boyfriend mean? And she said, I don't know. Just talking at lunchtime? I said it was a while ago. It was last week or something, I don't know. <laughs> and with that, Katza said, do you really want to only talk to one boy and, and none of the other friends? 
She goes, no, not really. And that was the end of the discussion. So you've got to have age-appropriate conversations with your kids. And as they get older, they're going to ask more specific questions, more detailed questions. And if you don't have the answers, then, then go look them up. Ask for help. That's what I love about the church. The church is a place that is here to help. And we encourage questions. And we love working through some of the answers with you. So hang around. If you hang around long enough, you'll be able to get all the answers for every age that you face in life. For husband and wife, you need to talk about it. And for some of you, it may be a long time between talking about this and there could be some long-term problems. And I'm not here to bring condemnation at any level because, as I've said before, there are many people in this room in many phases and stages of life. And I'm trying to hit a broad subject at many levels. But I would encourage husband and wife to talk about this subject and talk about it regularly. If you're having problems, I would say seek counsel in this area. Humble yourself and get the counsel that you need so that you can move forward and become unstuck from where you're at in life. Either way, it means talking about it. We have to talk about sex because if we don't, somebody else will. Thirdly, sex is not the goal. We live in a, in a society that is sex crazy. Everything, you know, is around sex. And it says, and as the saying goes, sex sells. It's amazing what they use to sell things these days. Like, what on earth has that got to do with a hamburger? What has that got to do with a car? What has that got to do with a washing machine? I mean, seriously, you're like, really? I thought, it was, I thought it was a bathing suit ad, but no, it's a washing machine. Really? It is crazy. And we've made sex the be-all and the end-all. And it was never the goal. It was never meant to be the goal. When Adam was in the garden by himself, and he went throughout the animal kingdom, yes, he named them all, but he was looking for a suitable companion because up until that moment, everything God created was good. But there was one thing that was lacking. One thing that was not good, and that was that man was alone. Man was alone, and God said, that's not good. We've got to do something about that. And so the goal of this relationship was just that. It was a relationship. Can I say, Adam was lonely, not horny. You've got to catch this. We didn't have this, this guy on earth just, you know, kind of just craving sex, and he just had to have a woman to, to scratch an itch. That was not the intention. Unfortunately, many have made relationships, that's it. But the intention was this man could be together with this woman and that they could be a dynamic duo together and that sex would be the icing on the cake, not the cake. That they could enjoy each other that they could talk to one another, that they could laugh together, that they could make a home together, that they could work together, that they could discuss things together, that they could make a life together. And in all of that, there was sex. 
But it was never the goal. And the moment we make sex the goal, you'll never build a relationship on sex. Sex comes after, not before. You can't build a good house without the right foundation. And the foundation of a great partnership is indeed a relationship. I thank God that I found this young girl in my life at a very early age. When Kath and I met, we were 13. We started dating at 14. It's not what I would recommend everyone else to do. But what I liked about that is that we got to know each other. And when I say dating, this is really what it looked like. It looked like me seeing her on a Saturday night at skating for three and a half hours from 7 o'clock till 10.30. And I always got to hold her hand and do a couple skate at the end. That, that, was, that was Saturday night. And then on Tuesday night, I got to speak to her on the phone. But it wasn't a phone like this that I could go in my bedroom and, and just talk sweet nothings. No, the phone that I had to use was attached to a cord no longer than that. And it was in the living room where the television was and all my family. And so every Tuesday night, I got the opportunity just to talk to Kath and say, how was your day? How was school? What did you do? And then when I said everything I wanted to say, I'd say, and how was your day? How was school? And we just talked and talked and talked. And I thank God that our relationship was not built on sex, but it was built on communication, talking, and getting to know one another. And I believe that's God's intention from the very beginning, that we build a life together on the right foundation. And the right foundation is communication, talking, and building a life together. And sex is the icing on the cake, not the cake. And my last point before I get Kath up here is this, that sex has a time and a place. God always intended marriage, uh, sex to be within the confines of marriage. If you're married, that's the right time to have sex. As far as a place, if you're married, it's up to you. There's a bit of license. Just go and have some homework and just enjoy that and... In other words, it doesn't have to be confined to the bedroom. That's all I'm saying. But you know, when I think about a fire in a fireplace, it can warm a whole home. But a fire outside of that fireplace can burn a house down. Does that make fire bad? No. But fire has to be in the right place at the right time. And I see many relationships being short-circuited because we're putting sex before relationships. And we're getting burnt. And we're getting hurt. And people are becoming less trusting. And less willing to commit. And less willing to get married. Now again, before I get my wife up here, I just want to say this. Again. This is not about bringing condemnation. Because as I look around this room, I'm sure there are people right now who are feeling a little bit uncomfortable with what I'm saying because of the lifestyle you have led. There is no condemnation here. It is my heart simply 
to give people the best possible chance of having the best possible life. And one of the greatest things about serving Jesus and following Jesus is, he, is that he is a redemptive God. And he can take a bad start and turn it around for good if we are willing to listen up and make some change. And so, no condemnation. We are simply here just to do our best with the information that we have to help people. Amen? And so on that note, I'm going to invite Kath up here. Why don't you welcome my wife, Kath? Take a seat, baby. Um, The biblical order is that you would leave home, get married, and have sex which is the exact opposite of what most people do today. Yeah? They have sex, don't get married, and they never leave home. (laughs) Am I right, parents? And so, I'm going to move this. There are thousands of questions we could talk about, but looking at the demographic here, I want to look at the question based upon point four and and just delve a little bit deeper as to why God would want us to wait and abstain from having sex before marriage. It's a question that we get asked all the time. And and there's multifaceted layers to this question. And so I just uh, wanted Kat to come up and, and, and share it from a woman's point of view and so it's not just my point of view. I would have loved to have Gay and Paul up here, but Gay just said, I'll just giggle. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's not going to be very helpful. So um, just enjoy from the front row there. Okay. So if, if what I'm saying is making sense, the, the, you know, the question that has to be asked is why wait? Okay, I hear what you're saying, but why? And so the first question I want to throw to my wife is why should people wait why should people abstain from sex before marriage? All right. Other than the fact that you've pointed out the Bible says so. But I think one of the major keys that uh, we should be waiting until marriage for us to have sex is it helps us to develop other areas in our relationship. Now, if you're a parent here, you understand that the television can be a very good babysitter. I mean, it is so tempting to use that little box in your lounge room to uh, raise your child while you can go on and do other things that you need to to do. But most of us know and understand that if we do that, then we are limiting our children's imaginations. In fact, we're just getting them conformed with whatever's coming out of the television. And so most of us as good parents would put restrictions on our children's TV viewing. One, because we either want them outside so they have physical exercise because our lifestyles have changed so much that with computers and um, what more school hours or working hours, we're wanting to encourage outside play so that there's physical exercise. We're also wanting to encourage them to use their imagination. So if we just 
plonk them in front of a television, that that's just they're just sitting there watching. There's no interaction. Whereas if you plonk them in front of some Lego, you're encouraging uh, imagination. You're encouraging fine motor skills. Now that's just a picture of what God wants us to do when we wait before having sex, when we wait until marriage. Because if we just jump into physical relationship, we bypass the opportunities to develop other things within our relationship. And uh, Tony said it before, as I like to think of sex as the icing on the cake, not the cake. And, you know, sometimes I like to go to the fridge and I might stick my finger in the Betty Crocker tin of icing, and that's cool, but it's so much nicer when it's actually on a nice piece of mud cake. And uh, that's just the, the, the same with sex. Is, you know what? Sex is the icing in our relationship, but it's not what keeps our relationship together. For 30 years, our sex is great, but it's not what has kept us together 30 years. What has kept us together is other areas of, rela- of talking, communication, conflict resolution, um, submission, giving your will over to another, learning to be not selfish, all those sorts of things have kept our relationship together and sex is just a bonus and a a nice bonus. And I said amen. Um, (laughs) I I don't know if I need to qualify something Kath just said then. She said for 30 years, we haven't been having sex for 30 years. Oh, (laughs) sorry. No, we've been developing other things for 30 years. Oh, I'll stop. (laughs) And if you didn't think that now, I've put it in your head, I apologise for that. So the first thing would be to develop other areas. Yep. Uh, something that I want to just bring, put on the table would be that it also, by waiting and abstaining, it removes the curse of comparison. Hmm. There are so many people that we have had to counsel and just care for. And of all the areas that we often talk about and it comes back down to, is that they feel that they don't measure up. And by abstaining, you don't have that comparison. And again, I think God, who is a God who loves us, wants the very best for us. And so we see that through waiting, you develop areas that you would have otherwise not have developed, but also you are able just to remove yourself from the comparisons that so many people have to measure up to. And for I, for one, I'd have never met a guy that wants his girlfriend to be that girl that has slept around with him. I've just never met a guy who's happy about that. Mm. And so, again, second thing would be it removes the curse of comparison. Yep. I think another thing, too, is when you wait, you develop trust with one another. See, I know if my husband, before he was my husband, could say no to me in that area and I could say no to him in that area, that means that when we got married, there were still good-looking girls around, there were still good-looking boys around, so it didn't remove those uh, distractions from you, but what it meant was I don't have areas or issues of distrust to Tony because I know he could say no to me before we got married. So if he could say no to me before he got married, I have an instant trust that no matter what lovely lady flashes her eyelids or does whatever, it's not an area I would question in my mind because we've developed that trust because he could say no to me then. Whereas if I could flash my eyes at him before we got married and if I could say seduce him, then I think you come into a marriage relationship with 
distrust because I know what I was able to do, does that mean someone else? So when I'm cranky or crabby or I've been mean and nasty or whatever's going on between us, if some nice little lady comes and she's friendly and she's nice and she flashes her eyes, I could have um, doubt because I know what I was able to get away with, whereas that doesn't even enter my mind because he could say no to me, I could say no to him, and we've got a, a trust foundation. It's good. It's good. Another reason for waiting would be to avoid the unwanted. The unwanted pregnancies, the unwanted sexually transmitted diseases, and the unwanted fatal attractions. There are some psychos out there. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I want to avoid the psycho lady out there. I just, you know, it's just not very appealing. I mean, come on, let's be honest. I mean, these are simple answers. But when you start weighing them all up, it starts, you start to see the wisdom of our God. Not that he's a mean, party-pooping God, but he's actually a God who loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us. Mm. I've never known anyone who wanted an unwanted pregnancy or wanted an unwanted sexually transmitted disease or certainly some crazy woman or crazy guy out there. So it avoids the unwanted. I think another one, and this is really simple, but it also gives you something to look forward to. You know, we're in a society where things are speeding up all the time and, th and things are getting earlier and things are happening earlier and quicker. And if we, you know, by the time you're 13, 14, if you've already experienced that, it's like, well, what else do you have to experience? No wonder life gets tougher and harder and people are trying weirder and stranger things and, and, and society really is on a downhill slide. It's because we're exposing ourselves to this stuff sooner and sooner. And so, I mean, we, we did it with our kids, even in things like getting their ears pierced. You know, we just said to Geordie, 10. I don't know why 10. It wasn't a God number. We just picked a number. She had to wait till she was 10 to get her ears pierced. Now, I'm not putting that on you. I'm just saying it, it, the purpose for us behind it was that she had something to look forward to. It was something in the future. Good. So when she got to 10, it was her ears pierced. And then it's like we have to wait till we're 16 to drive a car. And then it's 18 to drink. And there's always this push to bring everything down. And it's like, you know what? Let people grow up rather than just trying to speed up the process. So waiting means, you know what? I've got something to look forward to. If I get married at 21, but I've done everything, it's like no wonder our marriages are suffering right from the get-go, but it's something that we can be looking forward to, something that, hey, I can't wait for that, something special, keeping it in its right place. Is this helpful? Yeah. Let me go just a little bit deeper, you know, uh, particularly for the, for the marrieds here. Um, but th this next one, I've just said, uh, waiting makes better lovers. Waiting makes better lovers. And what I mean by that is that you learn through waiting the art of self-control. Mm. I want you to catch this. We live in a culture and a society that is very self-gratifying. If you want it, you take it and you take it now. But when you learn to wait and say, I'm going to wait till I'm married... I'm going to wait till I've resolved the conflict with my wife instead of just going on the internet. Instead of self-gratifying, 
it helps us develop areas of our life, as Kath has already said, which actually makes us to be better lovers in married life. We see so many people that get addicted to pornography or addicted to masturbation. I'm not here, I said I wouldn't go crass. And if you've got some pe- uh, kids here that you'll need to do some explaining, I apologize. And yet I'm kind of sorry, not sorry. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Because I, I think it's great that our young people understand this. The porn industry is bigger than the music industry and the film industry put together. It's massive and it's creating a massive problem in society. This self-gratifying. The the thing I love about uh, my wife, when we don't see eye to eye and we have to make up, if I've just learned to self-gratify, there's not going to be the the desire to want to make up with her to the same degree, if I, I, if I say, well, I've got, I've got to make up with her, otherwise I'm going to miss out. And so I want to encourage you, if you're young and single, you may be in a school environment, you may be in a university, you may be in a workplace, where what I'm talking about, pornography and masturbation, is very normal. In actual fact, when you look at the movies today, it's becoming more and more normalised. What, what, what we are being exposed to is becoming more and more uh, normalized and we're becoming more and more sensitized or desensitized to this subject. Yeah. And it's kind of like oh, everyone's doing it, so it must be okay. That, you know, it actually creates problems at so many levels. And again, I can't help but see an incredibly gracious God loving his people, giving us the best possible chance to have the best possible relationships. And if we can learn to wait and abstain, there's just six things that we've highlighted and, I, and there's more. Can I just add to that point too about the selfish lovers? If you watch movies and even the music videos and just the way media and society portray sex, it's a very selfish portrayal. It's really portrayed, it's all about me. And you know what? Sex isn't all about me. And I think you become a very good husband or very good wife. You become a very good life partner and lover when you understand that actually, you know, lovemaking and sex is about pleasing my partner rather than me. And yet society is all about as long as I get okay, as long as I was happy with it, as long as I was fulfilled and I'm okay then we're okay. And when you wait, you understand the need of, actually, it's not really, it's not about me. Yes, I'm going to enjoy it too, but actually, at the end of the day, my performance in this is more about how my partner responds and receives it. And so, like I said, media really makes it all about me and me and me and me. And as long as I'm okay, I don't really care what happens for you. But it, in, when you're waiting... And it makes you, we're talking about making you a better lover. When you're waiting, it makes you actually, I'm more sensitive to, uh, is my partner being satisfied than really if I am? And that would be the true, that would be the key, sorry, to a great marriage anyway. Mm. Just serving your partner. Mm. Whether that, you know, starts with putting the bin out, doing the dishes. It's not all about you. And if we look at the life of Christ, he modelled that better than anyone. About laying down his life to serve and to help and ultimately save others. So there's some reasons to wait. Uh, Another question we often get asked is, okay, I'm I'm dating someone now. How far can I go? How far 
is too far. And I don't think I have to spell it out any more than that. But how far can I go? Kath, how far can you go? <laughs> well, firstly, that's the wrong say, question. How low can you go? <laughs> <laughs> okay, bring it up. That's, uh, that's the wrong question. Okay, Song of Solomon's 8.4 says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. So it's not a question of how far can I go. The question we have to ask ourselves is what I am doing, does it arouse or awaken love? Because once you arouse or awaken love, it's very hard to shut the door. You've heard the saying, once a horse is bolted, it's too late to shut the door. So the question isn't, well, just give me the rules of what's acceptable. Where can I go? What can, where's the line? It's what am I doing that will awaken or arouse love? And the thing is, each one of us is different. And you can have a different uh, whole room and everyone's got different levels of what arouses or awakens love. So you really have to know yourself. This is where you have to do some business of, actually, I know where I'm at. I know where I can go. I know what I can watch, what I can read, um, p- uh, places I can be, circumstances, situations. So it's, it's what, about, um, what about me? What, what's in me? What arouses or awakens love in me? And that's where I have to stop. And often, um, when we're talking with couples after they've been married, especially if they're having uh, problems in the bedroom and problems with arousal, what the common denominator is, is they've often gone too far pre-marriage. So they know enough that they can't go full intercourse, but they'll do things that awakens and arouses desires. And what they've done is they then realise, no, I need to stop here because if I go any further, I'm going to places I shouldn't. And what they've done subconsciously without even being aware is they've trained their body to get to a certain point and then stop, which is helpful for them so they think in their dating because, you know, technically we're not going too far. What is unhelpful is when they're married and they actually can then have intercourse, they've actually trained themselves to not climax. And where you often have uh, conversations with people in marriages where they have to go to counselling because the woman has actually trained herself. She can get to a certain point and then she stops. And then when she's allowed to go a certain point, she can't no longer do that. So it's not, or what can I do? Tell me what to do and what not to do. It's about what are you doing that arouses or awakens love. Sorry if that was a bit too truthful for you. But you know what? I'd rather tell you now than you have issues and then we're, you're going to be sitting in our That's office good. and we can't, you know. You know, I'm sitting here listening to my wife and, and, and feeling like a very blessed man that she can talk that maturely and that sensibly and that caringly and that lovingly um, because she wants to help. And again, I think the start that we had in life gives us this incredible advantage in life because we've developed that communication between us by abstaining. And so again, I, I hope um, you're seeing something being modelled as much as what you're hearing. Because I, I, I mean, that's an incredible answer and well done, babe. I love that. Um, I, I think uh, if, if I can spell it out you know, further, you know, for a young couple to hold hands, that can be very safe for a very docile couple. <laughs> and, and there are some docile couples in this church and I love them. They're cute and they're awesome and, and they hold hands and, and it's just sweet and beautiful. And then there are other people, and that holding hand just, just arouses them and, and, and gets them thinking about the next thing, and so it becomes unhelpful. And I think it would be really unhelpful for us 
to impose legalistic boundaries upon you that create problems because it's never a one-size-fits-all world. And so one couple can hold hands and it be A-OK because they're just loving holding hands and that's it. Someone else is holding hands and they are thinking five steps ahead. And can I just say this? If you're anything of a leader, if there's any leadership gift in you, leadership's all about thinking ahead, you probably are stuffed anyway. (laughs) I was just going to say that while we won't give, you know, here's the rules, I was just going to say if you're a man here and you're a leader, you're already five steps ahead. So go back 10, take 10 steps back. When Kath and I were dating and we were part of our youth ministry that, um, uh, in the church that Paul was leading at the time, he, he wrote us this incredible letter and it went something like this, that, you know, uh, thanks for all you do, blah, 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 you're incredible, best people I've ever met, all that stuff. But <laughs> Something like that. On the bottom he said, always together, yet always apart. And at youth it was like you would never have known we were boyfriend and girlfriend because we just never saw each other. We never drove to youth in the same car. We, 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 we never really spoke too much at youth. We were too busy doing youth ministry. That was the spiritual answer for it. The other answer was I didn't trust myself to be too close <laughs> to her, so just letting you in on a little secret there. All right, one more question just very quickly. Uh, based on what you've just said then, how do we awaken desire? Well, you talk yeah. about not doing it? Yep. So where does all that start? Okay. Well, the biggest sex organ for a man and a woman is the brain. So even when you were saying uh, earlier about, um, what were you saying? You said something about putting the bins out, and I was just going to interrupt and say, you know what, men, there's a real tip for you there. It's like if you're saying to me, yeah, but my wife and our relationship, you know what, maybe start doing the dishes. Put the bin out because the biggest sex organ is here. And we often say to married couples, you know, sex starts at breakfast. So it starts with just doing that sort of thing. It can start in the kitchen. It starts with conversation. It starts with the compliment. It's not just, oh, it's 9.30 at night and we go to bed now. Now we, you know, we're going to go into sex. Sex starts here. So when we talk about arousing or awakening love, you've got to ask yourself, what are you doing or seeing or what are you feeding yourself? So for, for women specifically, because we're emotionally... We uh, get stimulated and start to think that way emotionally. So for women, we have to be very careful what we read and what we watch. So if you're watching romantic movies, you instantly are starting to think that way. Those movies, they portray things, you start to see the way they interact. And before you know it, you have gone down that path. So for a woman, that can be things. Reading. A woman, again, because she's emotionally, she reads. So you've got to be careful. The book's that you're reading. You know, I remember being a little girl, my nana, and I don't think they're around nowadays, but those Mills and Boons was what they were called. And if you ever saw one of those as a kid, and you'd be like, I can't pronounce that word. It's probably a good thing you couldn't pronounce that word because those, I mean, that's like female pornography because it's not so much pictures and computers and naked women like the boys, but it's words, and that's where women get into trouble, and that's where men, if you were smarter, in terms of in your marriage, words are what gets to a woman's heart. So speak the right words. So for a woman, it's reading those sorts of things, um, emotional relationships, you know, a man comes along and you're talking to him and he's just meeting you on an emotional level that you're not getting somewhere else, that sort of stuff, that's what awakens love. For men, it's, it's a little bit more obvious and it's, it's just what you see. And on that just often things we say to our young women too is just, that's why we're on to what you wear. 
I don't want Christianity to be known as this, we're known by what we don't do, but we really are onto our young girls in how they dress. I believe in fashion. In fact, we said we were going to start a a fashion label called Fashion Without Flashing. And I think that'd be, you know. But there's, um, what you wear is very important because there's a theory called the Gestalt Theory. And what that is, is the male brain is wired in such a way that he completes the picture. So girls, when your skirts are too short, when your cleavage is too low, when you've got underwear hanging out the back of your um, pants, what you're doing is you're inviting men to complete the picture. And we have this little, why is he oogling or or, um, dribbling or drooling over me? It's because like you're actually inviting him. Because you're not, if you were covered in all those places, he just sees what he sees. But the, when you're wearing revealing things, he's, he is trained. It's no excuse, I know. And that's why we try to train our men. But come on, girls, let's have a responsibility towards our brothers. And let's not invite them to complete the picture. So again, things that are awaken and arouse and love, arouse love are for girls, I think, books and emotional things. And for men, it's what they see, what they're looking at, what's on your computer, What's the magazines? What's on the TV? You might be able to say more. (laughs) Us men, we're very obvious creatures, aren't we? We're just so obvious. And again, I say that's what I love about the church. That we can actually offer help one to another. Knowing these things as a young woman can be helpful in helping our young men. Knowing these things as young men can be helpful in helping our young women. And to me, that's Christianity. It's us helping one another. And God forbid this whole night is interpreted as us getting prudish and, and, and uh, not embracing sex as, as a wonderful part of married life. But my heart, and I feel this more and more as I get older, but my heart is to see people have the best possible start in life. And if they haven't had the best possible start, to give the best possible advice at whatever stage in life you come to this church to be able to help you have the best possible future. And I do get a little annoyed when I see young girls just coming in, wanting to take young men or vice versa, as if this is a big game. I love the church because it's a place where people get to meet. But I'm very protective of what I see going on here because I love this church too much just to let anybody come and rape and pillage and take and abuse what God has entrusted to our care as elders and leaders. Can can I add one more thing? Just one more thing, one saying, just because we talked about what arouses and awakens love, and we've talked practically, but here's one tip that we always live by, and it's a little saying that just says, watch where you go when you're emotionally low. So we all know, actually, you know what, those things I can't do, but when you are emotionally low, the things that you naturally know you normally wouldn't do, that's when we trip up. And so we've got that tattooed on our eyelids, it's in Bible, it's everywhere. Just watch where you go when you're emotionally low. So I know in seasons of the pressures on or, you know, a mum with a new baby, um, a husband, a new baby, uh, 
kids doing uh, exams at school or job promotions, whatever, you, you know what it is for you that actually this is a very taxing time and I'm feeling emotionally depleted. What normally you could do, remember we're talking about what arouses or awakens love, what maybe normally you could do, you may not be able to do because you're emotionally low. And so one of the staple sayings that we have with us, we have it in our staff, we'll say it to our leaders, we're talking about watch where you go where you're emotionally low because that's when what you normally would do, it's not an issue, but if you do what you would normally do when you're emotionally low, it sometimes can be the very thing that trips you up. That's great. Has that been helpful tonight? Fantastic. Let's put our hands together for Kath. I, I just want to close with, with a scripture. And it's for every one of us in this room. It was written by a man named Paul. And he was writing to a young man, Timothy. But it very much sums up my heart for every one of you. And even if I don't know you, and this is your first time here, my heart still is for you too. And Paul says to Timothy this, and it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I could say, because you're a Christian. Because you're a virgin. Because you're abstaining. Don't let anyone look down on you because you've made some mistakes, but you're trying under God to put things in your life afresh. This covers every stage and phase of life that we are in. Don't let people put you down. Don't let people disqualify you because of your past. Don't let them do it to you. In other words, the only person who can let that happen is you. So don't let it happen. If you don't let it happen, it won't happen. Someone might not like you, but it doesn't have to touch you. Don't let anybody look down upon you because you're young, because of your virginity, because you abstain from sex before marriage because you've had a bad start and you want to change that and have a better future, don't let people put you down. He says, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 